0: Today's reading is from John, chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. What I want to know is... Who decided Mothering Sunday should come slap-bang in the middle of Lent? All you ladies who've given up chocolate and alcohol for Lent. What are your children supposed to give you today? And what are you supposed to do with chocolate and alcohol... If they give it to you for Mothering Sunday, do you have to wait till Easter Sunday or what? It just it doesn't make sense. And as Christians, Lent is supposed to be a period of, of introspection and penitence and thoughtfulness and reflecting on Jesus' period in the wilderness and uh, building up to Good Friday. And in the middle of it, you've got Mother's Day. Do we just forget about all that and just have a day when we think about daffodils and babies and nice things? And what do you do in church on Mothering Sunday? The, the people who pre- compiled the Revised Common lectry, Lectionary, which is not bound to in the Baptist Church, the Anglicans are to some extent, they have set readings throughout Lent. And on this particular Sunday in Lent, you have one, one set of readings for this Sunday in Lent. And if you're celebrating Mothering Sunday, you have a completely different set of readings. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't make sense. It's all really rather awkward. So who decided and why to have Mothering Sunday this time of year? Well, to some extent, it's all to do with paganism. Most civilizations in the ancient world, in the springtime, celebrated maternal goddesses. It's the time of fecundity, it's the time of giving birth, it's the time of new life. If you're going to worship all kinds of different gods, you're going to worship female goddesses, and spring is the time to do that. So as the church consistently did, they thought, here's a pagan festival, let's make it a Christian one instead. And let's think on this particular celebration about Mary being the mother of the Son of God. And from that, it kind of expands to to celebrating motherhood in general. And it was the time of year when people were in service, were allowed a day off to go back to their home mother church uh, and to see their families and their mums again. And yet at the same time, there might be a sense in which it's appropriate in Lent to celebrate Mothering Sunday. Because as any mother will know, having children is a painful experience. I'm not just talking about giving birth here, of which all men are in blissful ignorance. But there are, of course, emotional costs that mothers in particular carry, all through their lives as the inevitable result of loving children always carries with it inevitable pain we all have been at various times a source of joy and pride and fulfilment to our mothers and a cause of stress and anxiety and frustration and grief we've all done it to them So if we're going to celebrate Mothering Sunday, we recognise the patience and the endurance and the qualities that mums need to be mothers to their children. And we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep as well. Bearing in mind that those who weep will tend to do so in private. And... During Lent, we reflect on Jesus and his death on the cross, and there is that little passage uh, that Vicky read to us from John's Gospel, that little picture of four women gathered round the cross of Jesus, three of them mothers, there to see the end of his life and to support them in their sorrow and in their grief. Of the twelve male disciples, none of them were present unless... One of them can be identified as the enigmatic figure of the beloved disciple who was there as well. But even if he's there, he's outnumbered four to one. It's the women who are there at the end. Do we have the slide up on, on the screen, please? I want to, to think for a bit this morning about the four women around the cross. I want to take them in reverse order. Uh, bottom of the list is Mary Magdalene, the only one of the four not to be a mother, the only woman identified as being there by all three Gospels of Matthew, Mark and John. The three Gospels who mention women being there at the cross. Lots of people speculate whether she, she kind of fancied Jesus and, and whether things, if, if things had worked out differently they might even have settled down together. Well, all sorts of fancy stories have been told about that. There's also a long-standing tradition that she was a prostitute before she met Jesus but there's no real basis for that either. Luke tells us that she'd cast out seven demons, or he had cast seven demons out of her, which suggests she had been a profoundly troubled girl before she met Christ. And after he sorted her life out, she was understandably completely devoted to him. We shall return to this Mary on Easter Sunday as we think about her encounter with the risen Jesus, the first person to see him alive after his resurrection. But at that moment on Good Friday, nothing could have been further from her mind. The man she loved was dying on the cross. Third in John's list is another Mary, identified as being Mary the wife of Clopas. And, and some people kind of compress John's list of four mi- women to three and say that the, that the sister of Jesus' mother is the same as Mary the wife of Clopas. That's not very likely, actually, because you wouldn't, although Mary was a very common name, you wouldn't name two sisters in the same family Mary. You just wouldn't do it. Some people say, well, was she Jesus' mother's sister-in-law? All kinds of scenarios like that. But in actual fact, probably, there were four distinct women round the cross. And it's more likely that the sister of Jesus' mother and Mary, wife of Clopas, were two different people. Mary, wife of Clopas, who was she? Some people, with good reason, think that this Clopas may be the same Cleopas, who was walking back to Emmaus on Easter Sunday trying to make sense of what had happened when the person he'd been devoted to had died on the cross. And his unnamed companion could have been this Mary. People wonder whether it was Cleopas and his wife who were making that journey. Both Matthew and Mark indicate that one of the women at the cross who was called Mary was also the mother of two men called James and Joseph. Mark refers to James as James the Younger or James the Less. Now there were two Jameses in the twelve disciples and uh, it's unlikely that either of them was James the Less because their fathers were Zebedee and Alphaeus respectively rather than Clopas. So actually, James the Less, who was he? He may not even have been one of the twelve, we don't know. His brother Joseph, who was he? We don't know anything about him. Mary, we know precious little about this particular Mary either. Anonymous figure almost. But there when it mattered at the cross of Jesus, expressing her devotion to him. And second in John's list is is the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. She's the only one of the four not to be called Mary. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, we think of Mary being a popular name because everyone's called after Mary, Jesus' mother, but it was an immensely popular name in those days anyway. Mark names one of the women at the cross as Salome. So that that might have been the name of Mary's sister, if, if they're one and the same person. And Matthew says that one of the women there was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So if, if, if they all mention different facets of the same woman, then we have a woman called Salome, who was sisters, Mary's sister, who was mother of James and John. That meant she was Jesus' aunt. And that would have meant that James and John were Jesus' cousins. That would explain why he included them in the circle of the twelve. That could explain why he got on so well with them, why he made them part of his innermost circle. Peter, James, and John were always the three who were with Jesus most of the time. It would also go a long way to accounting for her presumption in coming to Jesus' side one day and saying, "Will you do a favour for me? Will you, when you come into your kingdom, will you make sure that my boys, James, and John, will you make sure that they're sitting one at your right hand and the other at your left?" when you come into your kingdom. After all, they are your cousins. (laughs) Mothers' ambitions for their children know no bounds. They always hope that they will go as far as they possibly can. But I wonder how she felt that day when both of them weren't standing there with her at the cross of Jesus. But most grief-stricken all, of course, was, was Jesus' own mother. And we don't even want to begin to imagine how she must have felt. Just thinking about it is too awful. She'd been told when Jesus was born that a sword would pierce her heart. She'd be warned that there'd be traumas to come. But nothing could have prepared her for this. But where else could she be as her eldest son was dying? You know... She and Jesus hadn't always seen eye to eye. We like to think of the the holy family as a kind of perfect family, but there were all sorts of tensions and difficulties and problems there. There had been that palpable tension between them, or maybe it was just miscommunication, where where she tried to involve him in sorting out the problem with the wine at the wedding of Canaan. He really didn't want to get involved, but she put him in a difficult spot, and he had to sort out the mess. She presumed a little bit upon what he was able to do at that time. None of Jesus' younger brothers had had any time for him. In fact, none of them believed him until after the resurrection. And there was that incident where they came with his mother because they thought he was out of his mind. Maybe they persuaded her to go with them. Maybe they thought he would listen to her a bit more. And they came to take him in hand, to take him home, because they thought things were getting out of control. So they came and stood outside and asked to see him, and Jesus refused to go out to them. He looked round the people who were there listening to him and said, I tell you, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? It's those who do the will of God. Those who do the will of my father, he said. That must have hurt when she heard about that. But the pain that day was nothing to compared to what she was feeling at Good Friday at the cross. And then with them was the beloved disciple, whoever he was. Dan Brown would have us believe that the name beloved disciple was a cipher for Mary Magdalene. But that is the least plausible of all the different identifications that there are. Traditionally, the beloved disciple has been identified as the Apostle John, the brother of James, maybe the son of Salome, perhaps Jesus' cousin, the author of John's Gospel and the letters of John, and perhaps Revelation as well. We don't know. But it could have been a different John. Other candidates have been Lazarus, the woman at the well in Samaria, Nicodemus, Thomas, James, the brother of Jesus. All sorts of theories have circulated about the identity of the beloved disciple. Some would even say he's just an ideal representation of what a true disciple should look like. But it's to this man that Jesus says, You see that woman? She is now your mother. And he says to his mother, look, this is now your son. And from that day, the beloved disciple takes Jesus' mother into his own home and takes care of her. If we were in a Catholic church, I would expound the way in which this is a picture of of Jesus appointing Mary to be the mother of the church, but I can't quite get my head around that. And I suspect lots of us here Have issues with that as well, but that is the Catholic understanding of this particular passage. What we do see is that at this the point of his death, one of Jesus' prime concerns is the well-being of his mother. But why, when she had at least four other sons and at least one daughter, does he tell this beloved disciple to look after her? Now, if the beloved disciple is one of Jesus' brothers, that might make sense. But if that's not the case, then he's asking Mary to be taken care of by someone outside the immediate family. Although if the beloved disciple is his cousin, it's still within the wider circle of the family. Yet in that profound gesture of asking the beloved disciple to take care of his mum, we get perhaps just another glimpse and insight of how fractured Jesus' family had become. His brothers weren't there to support him. His mother was there without him. Perhaps she had to decide whether to be with Jesus or whether to, to stay at home with them. That Friday, Mary was the mother of a divided family, watching her eldest son die. And all Jesus could do for her was to entrust her to the disciple whom he loved best. But from that day on, he was there for her and took care of her. And maybe that's something we need to take on board this Mothering Sunday. We we believe in the love of Jesus for everybody. We believe in the love of God for everybody. But it does need to be expressed through the people of God. It's one thing to know in theory. Yes, God loves me. In theory, yes, God is there for me. But it needs to be expressed through the followers of Jesus. And Jesus' mother knew, I guess, that he loved her. She didn't understand at that point that he was dying for her in any sense, but. He knew that his love for her needed to be expressed through the beloved disciple. And the challenge to us as church is we need to be channels of God's love to those who need to know God's love. This day as any other day. That little incident reminds us that we need to be there for those who are or who have been or who have never had the opportunity to become mothers. We are called to be there with channels of God's grace and expressions of his concern and practical care for one another. And where there are wrongs that can't be righted or where there are hurts that can't easily be healed, the church made up as we are, as disciples whom Jesus loves. We have a responsibility to communicate that love to those who struggle with or on Mothering Sunday or any day in any situation. Love always brings pain. You see that in Jesus' suffering on the cross. Jesus wants to bring those of us who feel pain the knowledge of his love, to pour out his love into your hearts. And all of us are called to be channels and expressions of that love to those who are struggling today. And we do that round the cross. We do that round the cross whether, whether we're mothers or not. We know that Jesus knows our feelings. He was there suffering to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. And as Mary, his mother, had struggled to give him life, he was dying to give her life and all of us life that lasts for eternity. We gather round the cross, men and women today, to recognise the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and who calls us to express that love in practical ways for everybody, whether we weep or whether we rejoice today. We are included within the love of God and we're called as a church to give expression to that, to one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the love that those women showed for you as you suffered and died. That their love and devotion were greater than their fear of repercussions or of what might happen to them and their families if they were too closely associated with you. Thank you that they led the way Thank you, Jesus, for the concern that you expressed for your mother. And the reminder that the love of God needs to be practically expressed in our taking care of each other. Lord, you want to put your arms around those who are hurting today. May they feel your love in tangible ways here this morning through the welcome and the concern and the support of your people. Lord, you died to bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. Would you pour out into our hearts your love, your healing, your hope? Thank you that Good Friday was followed by the triumph of Easter Sunday. May we know the power of your resurrection in our struggles. In Jesus' name. Amen.